production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings. Back in the, I remember going up in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I didn't know there was people who would eat Greek cakes other than Greeks, you know, so to serve to a non-Greek was like, so like, oh, serve someone today who wasn't a Greek, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> exciting. <laughs> um, and it was, and, um, and, and I remember Dad in the kitchen just frowned at me, so what are you talking about? I said, someone non-Greek came in, you know, like, it was, it was a different era. And now, um, well, it's, it's actually reversed, you know, like, there's a lot of Greeks in, in the area have moved out or passed away, a different generation. And today's Greeks, or the second, third generation, don't have to rely on going onto a Greek cake shop to order their cakes. Where 40 years ago, they more just didn't have a choice, they didn't know how to communicate, or didn't have the language barrier, they felt comfortable. Melbourne not only has the largest Greek population in Australia, they have the largest Greek population of any city outside of Greece. Located in the heart of Richmond, formerly a primarily Greek suburb, Hellas Cakes has proudly served the residents of Melbourne for over 50 years. Through that time, they have had to adapt their business plan and alter their service style to accommodate for the changing times and diversifying area. Today, we learn how a restaurant works to retain authenticity and history while adapting with the city through sharing stories, food, and the passion passed down through generations. Stay with us as we learn how the past and the future of Melbourne is shaped by the Greeks. Welcome to Culture and Cuisine, the podcast, season two, where we are creating conversations in the Melbourne community to show that everybody is from somewhere. Even the locals of today are shaped by the foreigners of the past. And with that, we can begin to understand and appreciate the diversity around us. I'm your host, Casey Hirschman. Sharing the table today is Peter Laliotis. And I'm Peter Laliotis. And my In the Field co-host, Gracie Sietu. I'm Gracie Sietu. Peter begins by sharing the origin of Hellas Cakes and how his father became involved during the shop's early days. Um, a migrant of the name of Iraklis Kenos, um, as a confectioner in Greece and pastry chef, came to Australia in the early 50s, established himself down in, um, in the downtown in Melbourne, in the city, just under, underneath the railway lines, making Turkish delights. And a bit of lollies and confectionery, and at a little place called Under the Banana Alley, underneath the station. And then he moved to Smith Street for about a year or so, in um, just after the uh, Olympic Games in 1956. And by 1961, uh, found this location, and by 62, he set up here as Hallis Cakes, and ever since been there. Well, I've done what we've been doing, and my father came into the into the scene in about 68, 69, and became a partner, uh, and has been involved through his generation to down to me, and marks my 30 years this year uh, since 1988, 89, 
where I started as a young as a young kid. Um, although growing up in the shop, by the time I was 15, 16, I was at work, went to trade school and learned learned to trade. But by the age I was before I turned 18, Dad retired and I took over. And we've been here ever since. Um. Hellas Cakes is located at Lennox and Swan Street in Richmond. The location was a very strategic decision due to the large population of Greeks that once resided in the Melbourne suburb. Peter explains what Richmond used to be like when he was growing up and how it has changed over time. It was Greek. Me growing up as a kid, walking down Swan Street, it was, uh, it was Greek. I didn't know it was any other language. And if anyone spoke English or anything, other language, it was like not as normal, you know, like something's wrong, you know. Um, so it was, yeah, but we've seen the change over the years, obviously, and um, uh, multiculturalism uh, started spreading and diversifying into, in all areas, where today you see, as a mixture, you, you walk down the street and you'll see a Thai shop, a Japanese restaurant, uh, a Greek butcher, or Italian, uh, locksmith, or whatever it is, you know, um, it's all mixed. As early as the 60s, things started to diversify in Richmond, but Greek cuisine was predominant up until as recently as the 80s. Today, Richmond is as diverse in the cuisines it offers as it is in the patrons it serves. We asked Peter how Hellas Cakes has survived through all of the change. It's very, very, very hard, and over the years, the shop had to revolve and look at different options to not just waning. Uh, and it's just expecting to have uh, one type of clientele base. We had to diverse as a business, although we to keep the roots and keep the recipes and keep the food very similar. But what was more important was to look at where we can target. So in, in the 80s, in the, in the 80s we looked at, we were supplying more the little old milk bars from the 60s and 50s to more of the bakeries, restaurants, where in the 70s it was always the takeaway shops, uh, little milk bars. Uh, I'm not sure what they call them in America. They have little, yeah, little, yeah, I have some yeah. questions about that too because I was yeah. reading about it. It's really yeah. interesting. So, uh, and then we, we went into more of the hot bread shops, selling cakes, in addition with the bread. And then started on the restaurants where in the 90s and onwards, we looked into the corporate side, um, to catering companies, credibly accredited, um, um, catering companies where we supplied products, if it's through schools, the major events here in Melbourne, like the Australian Grand Prix, the Australian Tennis, the major events. And we looked at diversity and looking at how we can still maintain, have a market and a niche market where, and so well, we're the only ones who are gonna be doing this, instead of just trying to follow the, follow the trend and then change the products. We did a few changes on there or add some more contemporary modern sweets to our range and today. And also, more importantly, the um, aspect of looking at uh, the dietary requirements of today from the yesterday, uh, the uh, allergies, uh, where it's more known today than 30 years ago, but what was gluten-free 30 years ago. <laughs> now, now, you know, we have gluten-free items or products. Um, or nut-free products or sugar-free products. So we had to adjust and also accommodate for that market too, because there is a market. 
uh, although we, we didn't know about it 30 years ago, doesn't mean we just pretend it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist today. Yeah, yeah. To be to be to be competitive enough as a business and not to offend your existing customers or lose scope or lose identity, uh, find a way to sort of introduce it within your products so you don't have that culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, what have they done? Uh, Through all of the change, Hella's biggest transition occurred about six years ago when they decided to turn their walkaway cake shop into a sit-down cafe. Peter shares about the decision and some of the things they did during the renovation to stop themselves from being just another cafe. I remember my father saying to me when I was a very young kid, and he says, not, not to me, but I used to hear him talk and say, oh, one day you'd be walking down Swan Street and there'd be tables and chairs out and the footpath people were eating. And I remember me sort of, yeah, okay, whatever, Dad. And sort of it was fun. I said, Dad, this is not Europe, you know, like, yeah, I understand your background. You came from Greece in Athens in the 50s where you had a cake shop in the 50s and it was successful and you worked in the basement and upstairs was cafeteria and there's about 5,000 chairs. You had the weather, you had the, the culture, all that culture, but here it's not going to happen, you know. Um, and, and a lot of people used to say that to him and he was, yeah, 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 okay. And yeah, today from here to go up the top of the end of the street, there's a lot of tables and chairs out there and a lot of people sitting eating, having their coffees, breakfast, lunch, fish, meat. Uh, you name it, you know, so from a juice to whatever. So, yeah, it has changed. But picking, going back to your question, you see what, what, um, what's happening, how the trend is going and where people are moving to more the cafe and what have you. We, we, we made that decision, but we're very, we, took, we took probably about three, four years uh, to sort of convince ourselves that's where we want to go. Because we always very precaution to make sure that we do the transition that kept bit of the young and old. And that's why we sort of, the way we did the cake shop, half the shop is the old with the old counters and all that. And we're, we're the new, uh, more contemporary stuff on that side. So we did that and having some of the old signs and, and we're not too much, we're not too little. I mean, people that, the old would come in, sort of pick that up and say, oh, I remember that counter, I remember that. Okay. And so, so we had sort of part of the history. And, and the way it's designed, even if you want to go to the toilet, you go through the kitchen, you'll see the old marble benches, the old ovens. Uh, the old ovens were from here, from 1962, which we were revamped. And they're, and they're still firing today, and we use those same ovens to bake our buckler and all that products. So, so we, we try to maintain, instead of getting a new... A new oven where it saves space, probably a bit of money and running costs uh, and electricity. But um, we chose that so it gives, it still has that, that feel, that history. So you don't lose that completely and say, okay, well, they just turned to a cafe, another cafe. Today, we are used to the cafes on every corner. But Peter shares with us how things used to be in Richmond before the cafe culture came alive. For the first 50-something years, it was... You come in, buy a box of cakes, and you walk out. There was no coffee, there was no sit-down tables. You just buy a box of cakes and take home, or to go visiting a place. So the Greeks in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s, used to get together at homes, and you go visiting to a birthday or to a names day, 
where they celebrate the saints and the name days. Or just visiting on a Saturday night with friends, you never go empty handed, you know, mm-hmm. either you take them a bottle of grog mm-hmm. uh, these days, but uh, back then you take a box of cakes, you know. Uh, and so uh, we're well known for our people to come through uh, to do a pit stop, pull in, go in, grab a box of cakes, yeah. an assortment or whatever they like, and they, they drove off and they felt good. They did the right thing by visiting someone's house, they'll get fed, but they've also did provided desserts. And, in most cases, we didn't even touch the desserts because it was it was for them, you know. So yeah. So um, where today that doesn't as happen as what it used to be. We because people more dine out now and go to restaurants, right? but they'll still come and buy a traditional birthday cake and have at the restaurant or whatever. But it's also again has changed the mentality and uh, and uh, people's way of thinking. But like I said we had to find. A solution to go with the times, but not have that cultural shock by saying, "Well, we changed." Going back when we changed five years ago into a cafe cake shop and introduced uh, food to the menu, it was like, "What? Well, you can't do that." So we had a lot of a lot of the old timers come in and say, oh, "It was much better back in those days. <laughs> the food was better." Or the, or the although the desserts and all that hasn't really changed um, but something like but some then you get the younger crew like oh, I love what you've done with the space I love what you've done we can now come and go book a box of cakes we can also have a breakfast and have a bugatta and then move on so so we do have um, a mixture and you're trying to please as much as you can and 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 keep your identity as much as you can Hella's Cakes works hard to keep the spirit of the original cake shop alive and caters to its regulars. Because of the way they operate, they have staff who have been present for over 35 years. They also have regular patrons that return over and over again through the generations. Peter shares the effect this has had on how they operate. Having been here for so long, we don't do as much as advertising. Uh, because people know us in the wholesale side, people in the industry know us that we've been around for so long and they know they put an order in, they're going to get it, it's going to be delivered. Um, they know what they're getting, they know their product because they grow up, they grew up with the product, so there's no, there's no surprises. Or, um, so we've been very fortunate, very lucky um, to have the history behind us, which also helps, uh, helps us with, uh, with the marketing tools. Of today, or new businesses need today to get the message out there, or get get to know you, or even to educate your customers and how to eat, what to eat, and have. Um, and it's and I feel really great today. You know, I'm walking my cash shop, and I uh, might be six hours before I see a Greek person walking, uh, where it didn't happen years ago. It was the reverse, where it's really nice to see multicultural people, different walks of life, just walk in there and say. Oh, we used to come in here and get cakes, you know. And um, we used to have big friends who used to bring you cakes over to our household, I remember. Um, so it's been really good. We've been very fortunate and very lucky. Yeah. So my question, because y'all still cook, you know, like primarily the same desserts, my understanding, but the food isn't necessarily Greek. Right? No, it's so a more what contemporary. goes into that decision? Contemporary. We threw, threw a few little Greek 
uh, on the specials or a bit of a twist. We do still have, as far as hot food, our spanakopita tiropita, which is a cheese pie, spinach and cheese pie, and the bugatza, which is a traditional Greek breakfast after your hangover in Athens at about five in the morning, which is a custard filo pastry with cinnamon and um, icing sugar, served warm. Uh, and the custard is normally made with a semolina base with sweet or a ricotta base. Uh, and parts of Greece have that as a breakfast dish in the morning. The Cretans have it from Crete or Thessaloniki up in northern parts of Greece. As a, and a lot of a lot of Australian Greeks will go to Greece, will go to Greece to, to have that bugatza, that, that, that special thing at four in the morning after a big night out. Um, so it's a tradition that we, we, we serve here and some people, a lot of them come here, especially on football days and uh, in the mornings they'll come here yeah. knowing they're going to have a big day, they're going to have a big drinking day, so they'll come in, have a bugatza, have their breakfast, their eggs and poached eggs and avocado and what have you, but then they'll just top it up with a spanakopita before they go to the game, so it's good. Um, but it's, again, it's, um, you have, um, you're trying to keep it simple, trying to keep it straight, and then all the recipes uh, maintain the way we dad did them back then and Mr. Kennels back then so uh, and we we're happy about that that we will be able, we were able to have, keep that sort of the same over the years and not lose the quality uh, and, and what people know the product as you know. it's really great to see that you've um, maintained your authenticity to stay the same way as you were when you know when dad was running it really yeah it's um it's something that you look at and say well it's something unique um and a lot of people say to me oh but no but we're losing it you know like um it's diverse people moved out Richmond's not the way it was yes we might be losing that part of it because now we live all across the spectrum we've you know we got out of melbourne or what have you but we're still here, we're still there, and second and third generation will listen to it. My, my son's involved it here at the shop, uh, and he, he's into the sweets, and he's, um, he's, he works here, he understands that. But then again, he still, as, a, as an 18-year-old, uh, he listens to Greek music. Like, like um, he'll listen to Greek music as, and although his father's born in Australia, Greek background, his mum's not even Greek. She's a, a her, my in-laws are Polish background. My wife is Australian-born Polish uh, person, and um, and and the kids will follow. We went to the Polish festival a couple of months ago at Fed Square, and we had a pierogi and a vosh and and our Polish beers, only one or two. But um, but it was it was you know uh, it was great to see. Uh, a bit of diversion, a bit of different, and it was uh, it was fantastic. But yes, the kids bring bring them up in this environment and be involved in the shop. Uh, they have that connection too, and they're proud too. And you know, George won't say to his mates, "Oh, my dad has a great cake shop." He'll say he's got a great cake shop. He will never say, "My dad's got a cake shop." It will throw in the Greek word, you know, and he's proud of that, and it's, and it's, and I'm happy for him to be proud and be able to express himself, and and not to be ashamed or be, uh, unfortunately, in different cultures, and a lot of people feel embarrassed to say that they're from here or from there, and and, that, and that's a sad thing. But saying that, but today's times, the young, the kids, are a bit different than what I am. I'm in 47 now, 
my son thinks differently, and I'm proud for him to be able to express and, and do and do that. And 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 I'm wrapped that he's involved with some capacity. Yeah. So. yeah, it's cool. So it's like he, you know, has this ability to be connected to his roots and culture, yeah. and also be accepting of other cultures and curious yeah. about those as well, which I think is, you know, a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And and the food and. And be proud to know the history about the food, mm-hmm. the origins of the products. Um, like like all products, um, it has it has a birth birthplace. Um, and we have that million dollar arguments. You know, is it baklava Middle Eastern? Is it Turkish? Is it Greek? Is it from Iran? Or is it, is so it where Persian? is it from? <laughs> well, um, well I'm, gonna, I'm not that old. So not really. <laughs> um, but I I personally believe what how I've read and what I read, I believe a lot of it came from uh, in the Persian Persian Empire came in and there's a bit of influence with it well, then through the Ottoman uh, period it sort of came out through into Greece um, but then again the baklava is a Turkish word not a Greek word uh, so but we still like to claim it like Greeks we like to claim everything we invented everything <laughs> didn't we <laughs> so, um, so yeah so it's something it's a healthy argument to have I guess and yeah. like our Turkish delight or alukumi we say it in Greek um, uh, like our feta cheese and um, a lot of stuff from, from the Greek culture uh, um, and like the other day I was reading in America uh, the first Hawaiian pizza was was uh, was done by a Greek uh, and, uh, and, um, and you know and I'd remind all my Italian friends that the Greeks put pineapple on the pizza, so it's, it must be Greek. Um, so, and it was a Greek American who came up with it. So, yeah, so and then they, they Google and find out that it was Mr. Panopoulos, and he was a Greek guy in, in America, in New York. And so we found it really funny, and um, yeah, we still have that argument till today. But but that's the beauty about in Melbourne here is um, we have a lot of culture when it comes to especially in the food and the diverse in food. I had Japanese last night with my wife um, Japanese, at a Japanese restaurant. Um, the week before I went to a traditional, uh, a very well-known chef in Melbourne, um, Adrian Richardson, uh, at, a, at a steak place where we had our nice big T-bone steaks. Um, but we all go, I don't specifically have to go to a Greek restaurant, but we go as a family too, we will we experience we go. <laughs> Although our mothers used to cook our Greek food and and we get a lot of people in today in our shop and say, oh, this baklava, it's really nice. It's my mum used to make it, you know, or yeah. you know, we used to come here, but we used to, but mum used to make the galatoburika, which is a salmonella custard slice, which is like a vanilla slice, but with puff pastry, oh, sorry, with filo pastry, salmonella custard. And a syrup drizzle of syrup through it. So, uh, yes, it's it's in the window on the second I'm like shelf. Yeah. The second shelf there with the custom. Yeah. So, uh, very sweet and also good for a hang after a hangover too. Uh, I think we have a lot of products for a hangover. <laughs> Not sure why. Beyond the day-to-day sweets and dining items. Hellas also provides much of the city's traditional Greek holiday breads and pastries. Peter tells us about some of these traditional items. And then we have our traditional stuff for the festive seasons, the, our New Year bread, which has a little coin in it, uh, and um, 
when the family, every family in Melbourne has to have our bread, which writes Happy New Year on it. And after the midnight mass or midnight feast, they'll cut it up and whoever's piece, uh, the coin font, you'll be lucky you have money for that year. Uh, that's a very strong Greek tradition in Greece to today. And we're renowned for our breads at Christmas and New Year time when we do the breads and we supply it. At Easter we have our Greek Easter bread tsureki, which is a plaited bread like an egg loaf with a red dyed egg, hard boiled egg in the middle. And and yeah, we make thousands and thousands of those uh, in that week and we produce and we supply to the other outside Victoria too, to Sydney and South Australia over the years. And supplied a lot of wholesale shops who on sold our product uh, to around Melbourne, where it was difficult for a lot of Greek families to come into Richmond, especially in the 70s and 80s, where we supplied to a lot of dailies and what have you. They used to go and pick it up from from the stores. Uh, where today, more cake shops have opened up, so more people are doing it. So it's a bit easier to get a hold of the traditional Greek Easter bread or a new year bread and that. So we've been, we've been very fortunate to have that history. And a lot of people, their point of call was back, back to the roots at Lenox Street, Richmond, where they remember driving or sitting in the car watching their dads go in and, well, mums buying their sweets. So, and, and as a kid growing up here, my, one of my first jobs was getting boxes of cakes and deliver it to the houses and we walked or took our bikes up the street so um, times have changed now. <laughs> we have Uber these days. <laughs> uh, so it's, it has changed. So. When did you decide that you wanted to take over the family business? Because as uh, a teenager it must have been like very, a huge Very, very young. Yeah, because coming here in the early days watching dad work especially my father. I used to see my father as a superhero. Some people sort of laugh when I say that. So what do you mean superhero? Well, we had Spider-Man and Wonder Woman and what have you, but Dad was my hero. It's the stuff he used to do back then. I was mesmerized by looking how he used to do things and just just watched him, you know? And uh, he was a legend to me, you know? Like, you know, look what he's created, look what he's done. And back then, Back in those days, uh, especially the wedding cakes and all that, there's some some grand stuff, you know, like six, seven tiers, and you used to watch him and look at it, like, I hope it doesn't fall, and as a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. does he know what he's doing, you know? It was all, it was, out of all these questions, but it was, but it was, you know, to them, it was just a walk in a park, you know? It was, it was but it was, it was huge, because the weddings back then, the Greek weddings and families, you know, five, six hundred in a wedding was the, the sort of the standard, you know, back in the, in, in, especially in the 80s, you know, it was just remarkable, you know, and the, the you know, and staircases and fairy lights and yeah, it was sort of very, well we use the word woggy, uh, very wog. Uh, yeah, it's a, a great, it still it's happens around. <laughs> yes, yes. And the word wog was what the Australians called the Greek migrants at that time. Oh, okay. Um, more like a slang, or a slang today. Or, uh, at times it was offensive at a certain era, but uh, these days it isn't. It's more like a, yeah, the Greeks call the Australians the skips, or skippies, and then the, the Greeks, or Greeks were called wogs, you know, and we stand, we stood out, you know. So, so going back to your question, 
seeing dad, that's all I wanted to do. So at the age of 15, I rolled up at Willem Anglis and did my apprenticeship uh, at the trade school here in Patisserie. And by the, just before I turned 18, dad retired for health reasons. And um, although he's retired, he's 82 years old, he still makes Turkish Delight, he still makes possibly uh, the sesame seed honey bars, and the Galata Buriko, and a lot of our uh, products that we still make today at home. It makes a hell of a mess in the kitchen these days. <laughs> it was much faster back in those days, but God bless him, he's still very active and he loves it, especially in the winter months when he can't go out in the garden and look after his veggie patch. He's, he's inside cooking. And we have, unfortunately, we do have a very healthy um, rivalry between the families and my siblings, um, and especially uh, my two brother in laws. They actually still argue that dad's galatabutical is better than mine. So <laughs> it's ongoing, and, um, and um, yeah. And um, I'm actually losing at the moment. <laughs> how, how do you determine? How do you, you go well, get random strangers on the street to sample them? Or <laughs> no, they try it every year and they, nah, Dad's still better than yours. And um, yeah, so Dad sits there and has a bit of smirk in his face and um, pretends he doesn't hear any of that. Um, and um, yeah, my, my siblings and sisters and um, my brother-in-laws and, and how the children, nephews and nieces uh, all let me know about it. We take a step back and try to understand a bit more about the initial contribution of Greeks in Melbourne. Before supermarkets were open later, 7-Elevens came into existence. Greeks ran milk bars around the city. Although fewer in existence still today, the stores were a large part of Melbourneian society beginning in the 40s. Peter gives us insight into what the milk bars were for the community from the 40s through the early 90s. It primarily sold milk, cigarettes, uh, your newspaper every morning, and daily products, from toilet paper to chocolate bars, milkshakes. Uh, a convenience store. Yeah, well, supermarkets and all that were closed, five o'clock shut. The milk bars will be able to stay until eight, nine o'clock. So the milk bars hit the inner suburbs in every sort of every corner. So as little kids would run to the milk bar and get our lolly bags for 10 cents, with a bag of mixed lollies, and you were the rock star, you know? You were, you, were, <laughs> yeah. you were the king of the street, you know? And all the kids chased you and sharing your chocolates or your, or your confectionery. So that was, that was a very big thing in the 50s and 60s, a very big business. And because it was just convenient. You know? So, but we called them in Melbourne, and we called them milk bars. You know? Uh, I'm not sure in America, they're convenience stores in America. Yeah, so, and a lot of milk bars in the cities where the Greeks open, they'll have a bit of diversity in there. So they'll, they'll throw in some sweets, not just a, a pie or such stuff, they'll throw in some sweets. So we used to supply something like 50, 60 milk bars within in the city of Melbourne, wow. within the 5k radius within the city of Melbourne. Carlton, North Melbourne, North Melbourne. South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, Paran, Windsor, South Yarra, Richmond, Collingwood, Abbotsford, East Melbourne, and right through around the whole circle. I think we used to go as far as Northcote, Northcote, which is about six k's out, and you know there was like 50, 60 milk bars that we 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 had our lines in there, and you could order a birthday cake through them, 
they used to place your order and we used to deliver to the Milpa and you go pick it up from Milpa. And we used to have the sign, we've got a little sign in here too, that you put it, it was in Greek, on, on the milk bars on the window saying, if you want to buy any products from Hellas Cakes, you can order through at this milk bar, at this location. Wow. So that you could order your 20 sponge slices or uh, yo-yos or your galataburiko and we'll deliver them and they used to go there and pick them up. So that was in the 60s and 70s and, and that sort of sort of died down. Obviously when the, the petrol stations start putting things in, the supermarkets extended the hours and all that it sort of uh, it became too expensive for someone to sit there for 80, 90 hours a day, a week to, to sell milk and bread. So we adapted from the milk, I went to the hot bread to the, to the restaurants. I remember in the 90s, like, so many restaurants were supplying, like, I was so proud, I was like, oh, wow, you know, we, we supply that place, that place, every Greek restaurant, um, where today it's changed again, um, where the restaurants these days are, are more particular. They'll bring in someone or, or hire a chef who has a bit of patisserie background who can make three, four desserts for their restaurant, and they do it all in-house now. Uh, it's a different, different way of... Uh, doing things before it was even if you weren't skilled or you knew how to make for example work with food not necessarily you had to know how to make patisserie or make cakes where now the chefs are coming through and training and the wage train today is different to back in those days i remember my father working as a pastry cook in greece just as the experience and cuisine people have desired has changed so has the style of training and preparing the food. Peter shares with us how patisserie chefs used to be trained when his father was first entering the culinary space. But it was all little rooms. And I said, what do you mean by little rooms? Every rooms, every section in the patisserie was different. So if you were doing, you were doing lollies and confectionery, you did it in the little rooms so no one watch you how you do it so they don't seal your tray. If you're, you're baking, you're in a separate area, if you're making biscuits, you're in a different area. If you write on a cake, writing happy birthday, you never write it in front of someone. So then watch how you write on the cake. Yeah? It was very, very secretive because you don't want to lose your job yeah. coming after the war. And the mentality was different. So to come here and have an open kitchen, like we have what? <laughs> an open kitchen? Yeah. And, um, and, and Hellas Cake Shop here, the original design when, we first, when they first moved in, their first design, the way it was, it was all little rooms. Oh, wow. um, we, uh, we, Dad knocked down the kitchen in, in 84, yeah. and it's one big, huge, one big room now. Yeah. We're back, in, back when it was designed in 62, had that sort of 50s mentality yeah. that you know, we have to section everything off. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and as little kid, I used to deliver the cakes, get the cakes from the main, main kitchen, and take him to the back room where a pastry chef used to knock on the door, open the door, put 10 cakes on the table, close the door, he write happy birthday on all 10 cakes. <laughs> and I'll take the cakes, take them and bring another 10, close the door and he write the other 10 cakes. Wow. Where today, the chefs at the back could write happy birthday, you know? It's so diverse now, it's changed and the mentality's changed too. Yeah. Uh, so, and the training when you go to school, internet, yeah. um, you could look at a lot of people say, "Oh, how do you do that?" Oh, I just YouTube it. YouTube it. Oh, wigged it. You know. <laughs> yes, there is a bit more to that, but a uh, bit of training. But um, but compared to back in those days, like someone who'd write on a decorated cake, 
when they had to open an oven door, not alone bake, uh, bake the sponge. So to be able to work in the custards and creams and then to make ice cream and creams and then from there to go to make the sponges and then to mask and, con- and construct it and then to decorate it, that was five different sections. And if you had, if you were lucky with an employer where you were employed, and moved you on from one section to another, uh, you 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 will become instant rock star. But back then, it's very rare that it sort of happened. So, where today you go to college and you know, it's, yeah, here's your here's your here's your thing. You just do you start from clean your tray to pipe your biscuit and you dip it into the chocolate. You temper your chocolate and you dip it in there and. You do your own fillings and you learn all that today. Yeah, so mentality is also changed. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea. That's so interesting. Yeah, the, the, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure, even in America, where a lot of migrants went, came came to America in the 50s and 60s, from Italy, Greece, Egypt, uh, Egypt in Alexandria was a very big spot in confectionery and hospitality and cuisine. In the 50s and 60s, and the argument was was better than the French. The French, after the 70s and 80s, were known uh, or got their names out there in Piada and French cuisine, or whatever. But in Alexandria, they were more ahead of their time than anyone in Europe put together. Uh, and I've, through history, I've read up and have it seen pastry chefs at that time in Egypt were doing ice works and sculptures and stuff that we in Europe didn't even imagine that and then coming to Australia and introducing uh, those products into Australia like what? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people used to come and say what is that? And I said baklava, balaclava and I said no it's not a balaclava <laughs> it's a baklava but, um, but saying that we have diverse so, so much and we still are um, can you tell us about uh, so you're well known on the street you know, like someone that will know you and be like, hey, that's a baklava guy. Um, so you were telling us that you uh, you have judged. Yeah, it was um, just a couple of days ago, the, yeah. the Lonzo, Lonzo Street Festival, the Greek festival, and then Tipitas Festival, which has been going for a long, long time down in Lonzo Street. Uh, they had massive crowds, hundreds and hundreds and thousands go through there. Um, and every year they have guests... Um, Entertainers, singers from Greece flying and do the concerts, live concerts, free concerts, and all the marquees, the Greek dancing, the cultural stuff that they do. Um, and this is the second year that they're running My Baklava is Better Than Yours and uh, and their Pitta Pride. The Pitta Pride is the uh, the Spanakopita the, and all the different uh, Pittas with different fillings from um, cheese and spinach and or potato and lake and they do all sorts of um, pithas um, so we were we was asked to judge this year with another five food critics and um, in Saturday so I, I ate sides baklava I don't think I can eat one for another six years <laughs> until next year I guess um, so I took part in that that was really great that was really good and they were from home I don't know who made them because you don't get to know and um, it wasn't easy uh, because there's some really good products out there, and a lot of a lot of uh, people who participated put a lot of effort, uh, and a lot of more, more contemporary stuff this time around, which was really good. So they gave it a bit of a twist and to a traditional uh, rectangular baklava, 
uh, and with experiment with different type of feelings and the way they presented it, different uh, and infused it with different type of syrup flavors and all that. So it was really good. Some some were okay, some were very interesting, but but in general, in general, it was fantastic. It was great, and it was great to be part of that. And I felt really good because when they when they invited me, they were like over the moon, you're going to come in and, and that was good, I mean, I got good, some good feedback and, um, and yeah, we'll be presenting it uh, on Saturday, the winner, I'm not sure what they've won, they've won some major prize um, and the bragging rights I guess, and, and um, it was good, it was good to be part of that now and back to the community and very, very rich in culture the, as far as the festival. Uh, so do y'all do anything else, you know, to help educate the community about Greek culture? Uh, myself person, personally I've been in education for 10 years uh, okay. between 2002 to about 2011 and uh, 11-12 I was uh, training of also an educator um, and taught patisserie um, introduced fellow patient back then to Willem Anglis and did savoury products and introduced them to the curriculum so I was involved in that and sort of back, back in the uh, 90s or mid 90s, but uh, but I also taught and I was a hospitality hospitality and or more patisserie coordinator and ran patisserie courses, uh, accredited courses in Australia, delivering patisserie and within that um, introduce introduce Greek products or the filo pastry products more importantly into the curriculum. So instead of just doing puff pastry and Danish pastry, we had phyllo pastry in the curriculum. So I was really proud of that time um, because um, it was almost introducing it to a group of professionals and had no idea what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Like, what is that? How do you bake that? What is it? You know, how do you do it? How do you handle it? And um, for me to be there and sort of showing them, uh, I felt special. You know, I felt, and, and they made me feel special too, you know, like, uh, because nothing better when you're teaching someone who are actually so keen yeah. uh, uh, more excited that they're there than you are yeah. uh, and so okay I'm going to make an effort and make sure you know, uh, deliver yes. because they're showing me not 100% but 200% that they're in awe they want to see what you're doing uh, and, and that sort of inspired me by introducing to the group to actually teach as a whole uh, patisserie so I, I remember going to a, a, a very famous fish and chip shop here and um, rolled up, we ordered with the family, we had to order the counter and then go sit down, get the number, sit down, type of experience and um, I ordered and the, the lady goes, no, no, no money. I said, sorry, he goes, no, no money, and the chef said, it's okay. I said, who's the chef? <laughs> and there was some, some student waving at me, he's like, hey, you must teach it six years ago or ten years ago. I'm like, I was like, oh no, you can't do that to you know? Oh no, they just wouldn't take the money. It's like, oh, what do you do? We're gonna have an argument. Yeah? So it was good. Uh, it's good that um, what's really good now is seeing those students eat within the industry uh, and and presenting food and cooking and and have done really well for themselves too. So it's good to see that sort of you give back something to the to the to the to the community, but also in education and you're seeing it. It's actually it's got someone somewhere, you know, so, and, it's, and it's very rewarding, very rewarding. We wrap up the interview by asking for Peter's advice to anyone who is looking to make it in the culinary world. 
Well, first and foremost, you need to embrace it, be proud, and if you want to express that within your work, if it's in patisserie or if it's in in, in the restaurant and commercial cookery, you, and then if it's your heart telling you want to do it, you should go out and do it. And trying to do as much as you can, travel. Travel is a very important thing in our industry. And I'm not just talking just hitting the Greek islands and drinking and having to get a Bugatti in the morning. Is, uh, go to different countries and look at their presentation, their food, their produce and how they execute it and that is very, very important. Uh, and you still go back to the roots in the Middle East or go into Greece or, and see how they produce it and how they make the products. Uh, and as I said earlier on, you never stop learning when you're in this industry, which is probably why it's kept me going for so long, is I have the attitude, I can learn from the next young kid who comes in here, I can learn something from him too. And if you have that attitude, uh, you'll be in the industry for a long time and you'll be enjoying it. If you don't enjoy it and you can't express it, you can't express it, because the products talks for themselves. And, and if you're not giving it 100%, my staff can tell me when I'm having a bad day. Yeah. So, whoa, you know, this is not the way. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, so maybe someone has to do it. So, and you can, you can see it. Yeah. And see it. Um, a lot of people say, well, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, you can, you know, especially in, in patisserie, you definitely can, and in commercial cooking, um, you can see it. So, you have to enjoy it. You have to make sure it is what you enjoy and go for it. Thank you. Yeah, I love what you said too about like the, to enhance a product, you have to embrace diversity almost. Well, you have to embrace it, of course, of course. So that's that's um, that, that comes first. Yeah. Yeah. And say, okay, well, now I've, um, Pete showed me how to do this, and I'm going to see how that person does it. And, um, yeah. and look around, and then you pick and you work out how it work for you. Yeah. Um, not necessarily my way is the right way. Yeah. And, and have that in here in the kitchen too. I so, said, so, well, this is the way we're doing it. This is the way we want the end product. You work out how you get to that result, what suits you. But you can't change that. Uh, I'm happy to see the change, and we can introduce it, but that's the fundamental thing. But you have to embrace, embrace it and, and, and understand everything that comes with it. Yeah, that's awesome. So my final question, what's your favorite Greek dessert? <laughs> That's a hard one. She's laughing down there. Bugatti. <laughs> um, yeah, when we hung over, Bugatti is probably a nice product to have in the morning. Um, but I, I, I like the um, almond, almond macaroon, uh, the amig where we used to fill it with apricot jam. These days we fill it up with Nutella um, and still with apricot jam too, if you want. Um, but my old time is me chocolate baklava that we do here. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> which you get eat frozen, you can crunch it up, blend it, put in ice cream, wow. and all sorts of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of people buy our products and blend them and infuse it with ice cream and serve uh, it at home and do and a creative and take it one step further, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love it. That sounds awesome. That's great. Cool. Well, Thank you so much no for the problems. time. This has been very educational for me. Nice. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you for giving me the time too. Thank yeah. you. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks.
production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings.